you literally pull one piece out of the thing. And it's not that the deck of cards falls apart. Bruce is still going to become Batman, but he is rudderless. He is not centered. He is not right because he doesn't have someone healing his wounds, letting him talk to him, being a guiding hand. And it's interesting that this book is effectively, what if Butler's not there? What if you didn't have a Butler? Guys. (laughs) Oh my God. What if you didn't have a Butler? (laughs) My goodness. (laughs) That's true. We should all be sociopaths by that definition. I'm never gonna give you up, never gonna let you down, never gonna turn around and desert you. I'm never gonna make you cry, never gonna say goodbye, never gonna tell a lie and hurt you. Rob, I have a confession to make, a deep, dark Secret. Ooh, a secret. What is it, Ryan? Are you finally ready to admit that you enjoy young adult comics? Well, obviously, Roman, but that's not it. I've been busy at night in the shadows. Ryan, no one really wants to hear about your moonlighting career as an improv comedian. Well, that's not it, Roman. I've got no sense of humor whatsoever. What I mean to say is I dress up in leather fetish bat gear and flap around the night wearing a cape. Wait. Are you the reason we're still in the middle of this never-ending pandemic? Yes, that's true. I do spread a virus that makes people foam at the mouth. So you're really into crypto? See? You get it! I'm Ryan Joe. And I'm Roman Segel. And we are two guys who don't agree on much, but we do agree that Joel Schumacher got it right when he added nipples to those costumes. I don't know about that, Ryan. Well... This week, before you risk life and lung to go to your local Cineplex to see the latest comic book cash grab, I mean, that is, The Batman, Matt Reeves' latest film starring Robert Pattinson as The Batman. Wait, 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 wait. Cedric Diggory didn't die in Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire? Oh, that's right. In fact, fun fact, he was resurrected as a sparkling creature of the night in a film not directed by Joel Schumacher. And an even funner fact than that, he fucked a mermaid in the lighthouse. Wait, they made a film adaptation of Sailor Twain? Wait, what, what are we talking about again? Batman comic. Batman imposter. Yeah, Batman imposter. Right, right, right. So before we see the latest Bat Flake, we decided this week we should read Batman Imposter, written by Matson Tomlin and illustrated by Andrea Sorrentino. Tomlin happens to be a screenwriter, uncredited screenwriter, vanishing like a creature of the night on Matt Reeves' Batman. So it's an interesting look into what feels like the same universe as the latest film. Uh, I mean, got the eyeliner down. So what feels like a Batman year 1.5 story has Batman alone and at odds with the city and the few people remaining in his personal circle. Gone is Alfred Pennyworth, and confronting him is Dr. Leslie Tompkins, the young doctor who cared for him after his parents were murdered. And speaking of butlers who abandon you, joining us to talk about Batman Imposter is longtime friend of the pod and number one Nightwing fan, Paresh. Paresh. Welcome back to Quarantine Comics. What's up with that intro, guys? Am I the butler? Did I abandon you guys? I don't understand. The butler the butler <laughs> did it. The butler did it. <laughs> well, I'm glad to be here. Excited. So before we dive into Batman Imposter, it says here you also like Batman. What have been some of your bat highlights over the years? Well, I mean, you can't 
become a number one Nightwing fan without having first been a Batman fan, I think. Um, it'd be strange. I haven't seen too many people who would like Robin and Nightwing without liking Batman first. But overall... I don't know. He's a shitty dad. <laughs> like, as you grow and you mature, you realize certain things about parental <laughs> figures, heroes, and yeah, you know, Batman's not the best. <laughs> I can't, I can't defend him that much. But he's been around for a long time, and there are a lot of interesting stories. For me, I don't know if you, Ryan, I don't know if you were asking about movies or comic books specifically here, but all of the above. You can even go with the with the nineteen sixties show if you want. No, a Desert Island Batman question. You get to take three Batman things with you. What do you take? Three Batman things? Like, and, okay, God. Uh, it, can, it can be a laser disc. It can be an action figure. It'd be bat, uh, it, uh, definitely bat shark repellent if you're on definitely. a desert island. You need that. Absolutely. Okay, so we only get two. I think I want to ask this question of everyone. Two Batman things for a desert island. Since we're all taking bat shark repellent. Oh, man. Okay. So in this hypothetical situation, I don't need it to survive, right? It's just like, okay, let's do this. I think my favorite Batman movie is The Dark Knight. It's one of my favorite movies, period. I know that is not a very controversial or interesting (laughs) position to take, but (laughs) it is the truth. So I would bring a copy of The Dark Knight with me for sure. Other than that, though, I I would say I would bring a copy of Batman: The Long Halloween if I, if I had to pick one story to bring because that's that's just it's like a really solid detective story and the detective stories are my favorite. What See, would you I think take, you would go- Raman? Wait, I, well, yeah, I want to know what you would take, Raman. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So first of all. I mean, you're not thinking practically because you're on this desert island and you're going to have to watch it over and over again. So I would take like a box set of Batman the Animated Series. I'm not taking – I I didn't take that shit literally, man. I mean it was just like two (laughs) things like going to a damn island. I mean you really want me to to go deep into that. We're going to be here for a lot longer than we need to be. But here's what I say. I have such a soft spot in my heart for that show because I think it is the best and the most consistent Batman, even beating out the comic books. Like it's just – It's great. Except for yeah. the, except for a few things, but yes, it's great. Except, yes, <laughs> but I mean, even like I think the best Batman movie is Mask of the Phantasm, the animated Batman movie. Like I, like I will, I we could have a whole podcast about that versus the Dark Knight. But I agree, again, I agree with you there. What, it's what, very good. Yeah, but I think the other thing, and this is a, this is why I actually like uh, this comic. During the beginning of the pandemic, I actually read Batman Year Zero by um, more recent writer Scott Snyder because it's this long meandering take at. Batman being young and fucking up like Batman year one, but he has his shit a little less together. And honestly, that's something that I really liked about this comic and this quasi universe that may or may not be related to with Bat Reeves Batman. So, Ryan, what about you? Like, what's your Batman Desert Island stuff? I mean, since press already took the Dark Knight, you took Mask of the Phantasm. I'm going to take uh, Return of the Joker, Batman Beyond Return of the Joker. Oh, yeah. Ooh, that's great. Good twist. I really love good that twist. one. Also, are we yeah. all on this island together? Are we sharing these items? What's happening? No, we're at war. <laughs> we're at <laughs> war with each other. <laughs> you guys stole my war, DVDs, war. so I've got, I've got, yeah, so I... <laughs> I'm right, but Batman Beyond Return of the Joker. I love that. Yeah, yeah that, that one awesome. that one messed me up. Like what they did to Robin 
Um, oh my god, it's so creepy. Was yeah, and then also there's there's two different versions. There's a director's cut version which does show Robin being tortured, and it does show Robin actually shooting the Joker, and it does have prostitutes in it that had to be edited out for the. I, I wouldn't say it was a theatrical release, but for the the original hmm. DVD release. And then my second one. Since I'm into child, children being tortured, uh, as we established last week when we read The Drifting so the, Classroom. So the, so the entire Robin run? Yes, okay. Yeah. No, uh, Batman Arkham Asylum, which we did review on Quarantine mm. Oh, Comics. We, did, we have talked Batman on this podcast. That's right. We have, yeah. And that one, that one's all interesting to me because it's just such a weird take on Batman, and I feel like the entire book is a puzzle. Uh, I don't know if it fully adds up. We've talked about this. Go check out our episode. But it's one of those books that I, I keep it keeps haunting me. Just visually and, yeah. and the way they show Batman. It's just such a weird take on that character. I, I think what's so interesting about Batman, I mean, maybe you can say this about a lot of superheroes, but it's a pretty simple template. And there have been a lot of really unique takes across mediums, one shots, year long series, etc. It's easy to go back to the well on him over and over yeah. again. And I versus I, I hate to say like Spider-Man, it's hard to keep going back to the well because if you fuck up some of the fundamental things in the character, but Batman's like this template. You can lay a lot of things on top. There, of. There's space for every interpretation. At least the, it's been that way. It lends itself to so many different variations. I mean, you guys were joking about the Adam West version, but that was my first introduction to Batman. Honestly, and I think I, a lot of us. Right. I mean, yeah. and you, you look at it now, it's like, well, okay, that was super campy and you could appreciate it for those reasons. But as a kid, man, I took that shit real serious. <laughs> I wasn't sure if he was going to survive in each episode. And, well, and uh, you go it, from it there. Kept the, it, kept, it kept him alive for a whole generation, even though a lot of us went and discovered Neil Adams or Frank Miller or yeah. all those things. Yeah. There's a there's an author named Michael Uslan who was a kid who was really into Batman, but he was really torn. He he wrote writes this book about his love of Batman. He actually bought the film rights to Batman, so you will see his name. Yeah, he's as a the producer. Producer. Yeah, yeah, on almost everything. But he was really torn between the two adaptations because one kept him going as a kid. So let, let's get back into this book though, Ryan. I mean, we haven't talked a lot about Batman on this podcast, but. And we're always trepidatious to go back to the superhero well. I guess there's a, a new movie coming out, so we'd like to go to some of the related material. What intrigued you about Batman Imposter? Why do you want to bring it on the show? What I really liked about Batman Imposter, and, you know, I, actually, my, my overall impression of Batman Imposter, it, it, is, it is mixed, but what I liked about it, I really liked. And it's how they took some of the Batman mythos and twisted it in a way that was unrecognizable or that was deformed but also recognizable like for instance the relationship with alfred right the trusty mm. butler we see hey alfred actually couldn't handle a young bruce wade he was so undone by his parents murder he was an incredibly violent kid and alfred basically quit he basically sent the kid to moscow and quit and so you see these elements that are so familiar brought up in a different light and what it all adds up to is a batman who's in completely alienated so we've had real takes of batman before like with batman year one probably most famously but this one is really trying to look at what that trauma would have done to a young bruce wayne and what his psychology would have to be like if you were to grow up to be somebody like batman what would he actually be like and this one really attempts to delve into the damage and lean really into the damage in a way that I don't think other books do. 
Yeah, I think a lot of modern Batman, and we're overdue to talk about like Grant Morrison. Um, we specifically like how his Batman appears in the Justice League, right? When he rebooted him, it's like mm. Batman is like the ultimate, the pinnacle, the best. Like you can't, he has such a high IQ. He can best Superman, all these things versus, I mean, maybe he forms into that person eventually, but like really digging into not even the issues, the fallout from some of like the psychosis and the trauma that he's got like in the early days. And uh, I don't want to say it was a raw take. It was just a very, uh, it wasn't even a very realistic. I, there was it just was something very. Construction of, yeah. of Batman and beyond Batman year one, are there other comics that really do that i guess you could make an argument that arkham asylum deconstructs a certain aspect of the batman persona i think almost all batman comics try to deconstruct some some layer of his personality Mm -hmm. of his psychosis however you want to interpret that but this story went deep on his mental health in a way that i've never seen before we've actually even seen I'm pretty sure I have to look at what what the source material is, but we've seen Bruce Wayne in therapy before, forced yeah. therapy and, and and variety of things, and him being insane, and even him being in the asylum as we as we would discuss. But here, I almost while this is year one point five, I almost saw this story, and I don't know how much we want to talk about the actual ending and what happens, but. I saw this story as an extended origin story for the Batman that we know. Because what this is positing, I think, is like, okay, you take Alfred out of the equation. You take Gordon out of the equation, who was also run out of Gotham after a year. You, yeah. You have a completely alienated Batman, as you said, but also from childhood almost. He's never had people he can rely on. And finally, in this story, they're showing after all this isolation, there are two people in this book that connect with him in, in two different ways. And maybe that's the the differentiating factor, but also the unifying factor, right? Of what makes Batman Batman in all the other stories. So long story short, I did enjoy it. And I thought it was, I mean, it freaked me out on some levels. I didn't, I didn't know how impacted I would be by like seeing the, seeing Alfred actually give up on Bruce Wayne. Mm. That was weird. And I, I didn't enjoy it, but I understood what they were trying to go for. That was a moment that really drove home to me that this is a different Batman because yeah. everything else you could be like, okay, so this is familiar. And then once you see that, you're like, okay, this is actually a very different take. This kid has been completely abandoned. And then you see the ruined mansion, or I don't know if you saw the ruined mansion beforehand, but you actually really realize that Wayne Manor is just like an empty husk versus the other interpretations of it, where it's just, where it has, where it retains its glamour, or of course it's Batman's hidden lair. But here it's it's a ruin, and he's still living in well, it. Well, and it's it's symbolic of him. A lot of yeah. people. The difference between the two is like Batman is who he really is, and Bruce Wayne is a costume, right? And the other way around is Superman is an identity, but he's really Clark Kent. But this book, and it's I. I I don't want to make the statement declaratively comparing it to other books or just the page count. So much of this book literally doesn't have Bruce's Batman, right? It's maybe, and, and I count Bruce as not Batman when the cowl is off, when he's talking to Leslie, even if he's like battered and bruised, there's so much in the front half of this book where you don't see him gallivanting around. I mean, the zip lines and shit, that's cool. That's fine. But it's really him coming to terms with what is his real identity? Like, and 
the title imposter, sure, the villain is a guy dressed up like him. And there's Spider-Man stories where someone's dressed up as Spider-Man doing shitty things. But it, I think it literally causes him to question a lot of what he's doing. Or or it brings it into focus of, no, this is what I really need to do. I can't let this shit stand. And I don't know. Yeah, I, 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 I liked finding a lot of time of him struggling with his own identity. Do you want to talk about the reveal a little bit? I know we're still early into the episode. So spoiler alert, we're going to... Dude, really half the it. people who listen to this podcast haven't read the books yet. <laughs> I, I, but I'm I talking feel, to you, guy. I'm talking to you, guy in Norway. <laughs> I, feel, I feel, I feel, but one thing I, I maybe without, I think we could probably actually talk about it without spoiling it. But I do like how the ending, the reveal of who the imposter is and why the imposter mm. is doing what they're doing, actually really ties into this deconstruction of the Batman mythos, which is because he does these extrajudicial ju- activities, all of the criminals that he brings in get sprung loose because on yeah. technicalities, because he's operating beyond the law. And so this creates a lot of resentment, not only against the criminals who are let go because of Batman's activities, but also of the Batman himself for, for putting the police in this position. And so that that's part of the world building, but it also ties really nicely into the conclusion. It, it all like makes sense at the end why the imposter is doing what he's doing. Yeah, I agree with that. And it also leads itself to a more traditional Batman universe in in the same way too, though, where, okay, the question that you asked, am I creating the monsters? Is he creating Mm. the monsters? And the the answer in in this book, I believe, is is a resounding yes. (laughs) But the the problem, the, I don't know if it's a problem, I guess it is a problem, is that he himself was the first monster. And so when you allow a monster loose on a city like that, yeah. So how do you deal with that? And how does a person who's trying to reconcile himself as a monster deal with other monsters? So it's, I mean, that's really, it's, I wouldn't say this is the darkest take on Batman I've read, but there's a lot of despair. Yeah. Well, yeah. Despair is something that kept, yeah, I, I, it come up a lot about this book. It's like the underlying theme. <laughs> Why yeah. bother? Did you? It's funny you guys mentioned like extra extrajudicial, and obviously that is what a vigilante is. But did either of you read Batman White Knight by Sean Murphy? Mm-hmm. It's one of the Batman books I would love to bring to this pod because it's great. It really inverts. I mean, it's it's saying what everyone thinks. <laughs> Who is this guy to be doing this shit? Why are we allowing it? And it was written in you know. I think it was written in like 2017, 2018, but I read it in the summer of George Floyd. And so to like hear that hot take on, oh, okay, this guy doing these things, how is that okay? It's just like, it's it's a slippery slope. Once you allow for one thing, why can't you go do those other things? Or why can't someone else go do those other things? Yeah, and, and the fact that it ends with that reveal, right? And it doesn't really resolve what happens afterwards, but it does end with Batman in a very uncomfortable position. Normally, you unmask the bad guy, and it's a moment of triumph for the character, and then things are starting to... You can start restoring things to normal. Here, it, it really presents a much more incisive take, critical take, on Batman's role in, in Gotham, and whether he actually is a force for good, or whether he's just a guy trying to work out his therapy through violent means. And in the process, he ends up fucking a whole bunch of things up. I mean, get a podcast, Bruce, Jesus. It also raises the question, not just is he a force for good or does he need to be a force for good to, to some extent? And 
the whole everything that happens between the conversations between him and Leslie, it leads itself to, I think, a more hopeful tone at the end with at least where Leslie's concerned. But the way we got there with Bruce Wayne in this in this book, he's a complete recluse. So if anyone's been watching the Batman trailers, uh, it's similar. It seems like that's one of the unifying themes between this. Tonal. And, tonal. And, yeah, tonal yeah. In, with, with the film itself. And a Batman who maybe doesn't know exactly what he's doing. We talked about what Grant Morrison said before, right? And how Batman was just perfect. In, in many ways, he was he was more unbelievable than, than Superman in some ways because of, because of just... He's a guy to... who can do all these things. Yeah, right? He's not right? even an alien. And what makes this book so interesting and what I think they're touching on in the film is that he's really going to screw up. And we haven't seen that too much. We've always seen him getting his feet wet in early stories and figuring things out. But the the level of, I guess, he's. I would say he's full-on sociopath in this book. Right? Well, yeah, because like, it's, it's one it's one thing in a year one story for him to like, oh, I, I can't get the batarang right. Yeah, or, yeah, oh, yeah. I can't they're, hit it. Like, oh, they're the not afraid shit. of me. They're not afraid of me. That stuff. Yeah. Like, no. I got to change my voice, all yeah. that shit. But like, this is the, the grappling with the psychological impact of choosing to be Batman. What What did you guys, was there anything that you guys didn't like about it or is there anything that didn't work? Because this is definitely a, a very different take on, on that character. Well, I mean. I don't know about did or didn't work, but I was really uncomfortable with the Alfred situation. And yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Like, uh, I, I guess it, I didn't realize how significant he is. I wouldn't like, I don't think a lot of people would maybe say that Alfred's their favorite character, but Roman earlier was talking about how you can change a lot about the mythos and Bruce Wayne, and you can't change too much about Spider-Man. That was towing the line for me. With Alfred's a comforting presence. I think. I think yes. no matter how you depict him, whether he's a guy who's actively participating in Batman's antics, like Jeremy Irons was in the Snyderverse, or whether he's an old man who just provides. He's been with Bruce Wayne since he was a child. He comforted the young Bruce Wayne after the death of his parents. He made sure that Wayne Manor and all of its affairs were in order. And he's as close to a father figure as Bruce Wayne has. And here, like the the father figure explicitly just gives up on him. He says, "I am a butler. I am not trained to handle this. I am." Yeah, he was a dick. <laughs> yeah, he was a dick. He's going to Moscow. It's like. <laughs> And that, it's interesting because that sequence, but Alfred was in this for probably what two pages, and <laughs> less than that maybe. And he, casts, yeah. and he casts a shadow over the whole book. Yeah, right. That moment was really, really defining because it's interesting that you and I both gravitated to that moment as like, oh shit, this is actually yep. a very, very serious situation, and I understand why Bruce Wayne is as fucked up as he is. He really, literally, grew up with nobody. He saw his parents murdered. And then everyone else left him. And he has no yeah, friends. It, and he has no family. It's like those Elseworld tales, tales where they would always say, okay, what if Clark Kent was found by the Luthers instead of the Kents? This is a, a, not exactly going to those extremes or those like zany switcheroos. But it's the, the same concept. If you lose this father figure, not just lose this father figure, if he abandons you. And if you are abandoned by him. Yeah, yeah, if he you, chooses to leave you. Wait, I've got the title for this Elseworlds story. It's called, What If Alfred the Butler Butted Out? <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> well, it's, it is. There There was an Alan Davis did a, a run called 
uh, Justice League, the nail. And it's like based on some medieval poem, like a nail could bring down a kingdom. And it's basically like Clark and Martha. Why Martha did you say Jonathan- that name? Martha and Jonathan can't have a nail in their truck and they have a flat tire and so they never make it to pick up Superman and so basically Superman doesn't exist in this universe right because it's a longer like thing but it's you literally pull one piece out of one pin out of the thing and the whole fucking deck of cards falls apart and it's not that the deck of cards falls apart Bruce is still going to become Batman he's still going to become a vigilante but he is he is rudderless he is not centered he is not right because he doesn't have someone either healing his wounds letting him talk to him being his therapist being a guiding hand and it's it's interesting that this is this book is effectively what if what if butler's not there what if you didn't have a butler what guys (laughs) (laughs) i know what (laughs) oh my god my goodness (laughs) that's true we we should all be sociopaths by that definition but Again, I, I, I said something like this before, where if you look at it from from a high level on what's happening here, forget like the specifics about the mental health stuff, which is very significant. But for a moment, there's so many times in Batman's history where he's gone too far, he's too dark, something crazy is happening. And those are the moments where he doesn't have somebody to, to be that voice that Roman was just referring to. Could be, in, in many instances, it could be Robin, could be yeah, Alfred, exactly. it could be so many different people. And in this story, they show him not having anybody and then finally having people. And he starts to go towards that. So I do think there is still like a, I guess a yeah. tradition of, of bringing that but, hope but- back to it. But but I think what, what all all of those stories though all of those stories like lonely place for dying after Jason Todd is dead everyone's like Jesus this guy's an asshole all of a sudden and Tim Drake has to come and calm him down yeah all of these those stories happen later on in his life and this is the formative years so like at the very beginning of the journey when he is un- abandoned he becomes more unhinged and mm-hmm. I, it's I think that that's a one key difference like every time totally. you've taken these guys out of yeah. the equation it's later on in life when he's a fully realized adult because. There's always an Alfred at the beginning and even Leslie, Leslie, who was equally as much a figure in the young Bruce Wayne's life, even she's not quite antagonistic, but she's like, what the fuck are you doing? So that's actually um, so why some of the relationships towards the end didn't work for me. Oh, I guess fundamentally it's the, it's the lady cop relationship. I mean, for, for one thing, once you see the hot Asian lady cop, you have to wonder, I wonder if she's going to play a romantic role in Bruce wins. Yeah, she does. <laughs> she does yeah. indeed. It was, and, it was very trophy. And that, that's where I, I felt like the it became a little bit the, less. The minute they revealed that she had dead parents, like, oh, you knew what God. was Oh, God. Yes. Let's unite over us both being orphans. I mean, that, that, that's the part that just didn't ring true for me. Because, like, everything else, like, this kid is damn. He sees his parents murdered. He is completely damaged he has no idea how to interact with other people i mean he should he's he should be antisocial right and yet he's able to successfully court this lady cop who by the way she is smart enough to realize that the wheels of these mysterious black motorcycles are associated with the wayne enterprises she's smart enough to realize that the real Batman must be a billionaire. And then she's <laughs> beds, hunky Bruce Wayne. They're comparing scars with each other. And she just has no fucking clue. I was like, whoa, it doesn't even occur to her. 
that, that she's in love, man. She's in love. Yeah, yeah it's, it's one of those things where. Did, did you see his eyeliner? Yeah, it, it, it's just one of those things that that just felt so untrue to me, and it 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 irritated me that it was such a central part of the book. I know that you're trying to redeem Bruce Wayne, but you need to first off, if you're gonna have psychopathic, antisocial, PTSD Bruce Wayne, you're gonna establish that. And then you're going to put him in a romantic relationship. That stuff needs to somehow come out in that relationship. Now, yeah, you can't have him yeah. have it together it, like no. in such a way where he could fool fool this like detective, literal detective, um, or even attract her. I would think. I mean, I'm he's a good looking dude, but I mean, seriously, if somebody with that amount of psychological damage that they haven't worked through, or the only way they can work through it is by dressing up in leather and pummeling people on the street, there might be some red flags in this in this relationship and yeah, they went too far in either direction. Like either you was, don't make him that fucked up or you, or you don't do this in the relationship. I agree. That relationship piece did not work for me. Although, I mean, at the end, I mean, I get it, but it, it wasn't as believable when, when, when he said that he was in love with her, I just, I didn't buy it either. Yeah. He doesn't know what love is. I mean, that he literally has no idea what love is, right? True. Mm-hmm. I agree. Did you, did you, what did you think? What, did you like cop love, Rumman? I, at first I was, I, this the, like, is like, oh, okay, representation. That's interesting. But then she fell into tropey territory and it mm. really, really upset me more than I thought it would. Like, it's, it's fine. Batman's got his James Bond elements. There's always a woman. But to your point, the relationship wasn't authentic. The trauma, he's, he's damaged goods and I actually would have been okay if they slept together and there was a relationship and he was completely damaged in it. Mm. But the part where Mm -hmm. he's like, I think I'm falling in love. Like if you just take that, like if you literally just take that one element out of his confession to Leslie, like I'm using her, but I think I'm falling in love. Like, no, no, you're using her. You're fucked up. No, but here's here's where it could have worked better. And and which is where exactly what you're saying though is, if she had the agency in the entire situation and it makes sense, like if she was the one who figured it out, actually, if she started falling in love with him for whatever reason, right? But she's using him. Exactly. She's using him. And, and then she is the, she is the person who could provide air cover for a Batman who clearly needs it at this stage. I, I take, I take it the other way around though. She is using him to get to him. And, and it cut again. Hey man, she's attractive. He's a good looking guy. He's a rich guy. Why not? Regardless of which path you choose, I think the missed opportunity it's a missed opportunity because it's a very yeah. conventional romance. There could mm-hmm. have been some dramatic tension that could have played off of the whatever psychosis Batman Bruce Wayne had and that could have factored into this relationship. It could have complicated that relationship. It could have played into the plot. Is she using him? Is he using her? Do they actually maybe they don't really love each other. I mean, the result of that relationship could have added even more damage to to Bruce Wayne, the, the the choice to make it a very conventional "I love you," I mean, two splash pages of hearts relationship. <laughs> yet that was just the most uninteresting path and stereotypical path you could have taken, and it was such a sh- contrast because everything else about this book had not been stereotypical. Had been yeah. let's dissect this, let's examine this, let's take apart the mystique of Batman. He doesn't fly across Gotham. No, he gets across with zip lines, and he. And uh, and motorcycles that are strategically the batteries have z- circles in the middle of them. <laughs> I love that. I don't know why. It seems like they would work better with circles. So. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I would have enjoyed it if she 
took pity on him in some way, right? And yeah. it was like some weird version of the Batman Gordon relationship, obviously, here, but it would have made the story that much better and would have led to the same result at the end, which I think they were trying to get to. Mm-hmm. Who knows? <laughs> That's your other what if. What if Commissioner Gordon were a sexy Asian lady? one thing it's it's a minor thing but another thing i actually really enjoyed beyond the reveal of the imposter later on and how the imposter has been interacting was the use of rat catcher right i assume that's the character right like like Mm. that part of the mythos at first when you think he's actually helping batman and bruce like oh that's interesting like and that was something that batman year zero did by scott snyder it was introduced all of these I mean, they're annoying, like, do you need to explain everything? But it was like, oh, okay, here's how he makes use of tunnels and stuff. Because they introduce zip lines, and it seems like a cool idea, but it's a flawed framework at some point, right? So Yeah, that's how he um, gets caught. But it also fixes limitations also, right? As powerful as Batman often seems, once you identify the tricks, it really undermines his ability to operate. Which is a, is a huge vulnerability for him. Yeah, be, be it the motorcycles or the zip lines or whatever. Yeah. One thing, and I, again, I, I'll bring this up because it was my own confusion coming into reading this. But again, knowing next to nothing about the Matt Reeves Batman, I've literally watched the first two trailers and I've stayed away from all the promo because I want to go in cold and just enjoy it. But, and again, a lot of the press says, maybe this is a continuation of the story. And it's not. It's well, not. To be clear. Yeah, I but don't think so. It, I, I couldn't help but see, is it inspired by the universe of the movie, the next step for Battinson, right? It's its own separate thing. It's not connected. Just only in spirit. All, all I'll say is it would be very, very interesting if yeah, at the end of the Matt Reeves movie, like Alfred's like, I'm out. Because then I'm like, okay, okay, we knew something going into the writing of this. I guess. What well, if- I mean, it, it, that could be connected in, in, in terms of themes, but like literally that wouldn't be connected. Well, the, here's, here's where the one place I can imagine it isn't connected. Because in this Gotham, I mean, again, minus Alfred and Gordon being completely gone. And why are they gone? Maybe something happened in the movie. But at the end of the day, the... The Gotham universe that's being portrayed in the movie that I think we're going to see, it's not necessarily fully established, but there's a crime lord with the penguin. There's a cat woman. There's all these things going on versus this is a very stripped down Gotham. It's a very stripped down Bruce and so stripped down that you can, can't even imagine he exists in a world where all that stuff did exist before. Yeah. Well, let me be clear. It literally is not connected. <laughs> like, from the like, it is. It is just not. So let take, a man dream. Take, Let a man dream. Why would you want it to be? Yeah. Why do you want that? I, I prefer it not being connected. No, yeah. it's not that. It's the. I'm actually going to say something that really upsets me. That I don't know why I wanted it when I read it, but it was how like I'll come back to Harry Potter. We all started reading the books, and then we saw the movies, and then when you read the books, you can't help but imagine the actors. It's ruined your brain on it. The same thing with the Expanse, right? It's that. It's they're drawing him to look like Pattinson with eyeshadow. They're painting a universe that looks and feels like the trailer. So it feels like that universe, but it's not really. I disagree. It's kind of I, don't a think, I don't think it looks anything like Pattinson, just the eyeshadow. But like the, the artwork itself is actually very good, I think. But, oh, it's fantastic. But I don't think it I don't I don't think it shares too much visually with the film. The artwork what what I really love about the artwork is there were literal moments where, especially when both Batman, the imposter, and the real one were together, I couldn't tell them apart. Mm-hmm. And it was, uh, I think that was Confusing. the that was the entire point. <laughs> and and it took it was frustrating for a bit, but then I was like, oh, 
Okay. Well, I mean, and they literally pull that wool over your eye in the front of the story with Ratcatcher. You actually think it's it's our Batman interacting yeah. with Ratcatcher. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I really like how that's a perversion of the Batman-Robin relationship as well. I mean, it's this yeah. weird, abused Robin character with this demented, vigil, well, homicidal Batman. Yeah, it was it was a great twist on that on on that traditional relationship, and it also plays the reason we thought one you know they're working together obviously it shows them working with a batman but i think they are they're definitely playing off of our expectations of the batman robin relationship Hmm. i also i also think like it's important that this book not be associated with any other big well the reason being is because it creates this sense of finality this this possibility that batman isn't going to get out of it alive right if you connect this to the movie it's like oh yes he's gonna he'll be fine because the story must go on but here, you really don't know whether Batman is going to live through this. I mean, and you you do see his physical vulnerability. I mean, forget about his mental vulnerability. Forget yeah. forget about all of that. But you see his physical vulnerability throughout this. So it's the fact that this is a one shot. Really, yeah, yeah, creates mm-hmm. the tension of like, okay, I don't know if Batman can actually survive any of this, and that also is something that really draws you in and keeps you. Kind of riveted to, to what what is going on to come back to something we said at the very beginning of the episode that's always been one of the more interesting things about batman it and again you could say that about what dc's doing with their um expansion into ip it's none of the shit has to be connected they can all be standalone stories and interpretations this does not tie into a cinematic universe yeah and yeah. that means you can have a batman story with stakes because yes you might reset it but you're not resetting the character you just told the story about you're just resetting the mythos one thing, just it was a bit of a tangent, I've always appreciated about Grant Morrison is he he really understands that Batman can be whatever you want him to be, whether you want him yep. to be campy, whether you want him to be dark, whether you want him to be sexually frustrated as an Arkham Asylum, or just the best detective in the world. Grant Morrison's played with all of those different versions of Batman, and I think that's one of the reasons why I, I really kind of am interested in his take. You don't know like what version of Batman you're you're gonna get from him and in a way that's also why i like batman uh imposter it's it's a different version of batman it's both recognizable and unrecognizable and uh, and, and i thought it, it, it was a really creative deconstruction of of the batman mythology i i feel like a lot of batman comics they're a little wordy i guess they're a little on the nose about what they're trying to deconstruct and in a lot of cases here, he he just lets the characters and their actions do the explaining. You get a sense of what's going on in scene, through the narrative, through the way these people are interacting with each other. I agree. And I, and I think that one of the key things about this, a lot of people who read this, they're, they're, they might come out of it thinking that, oh man, that was, that was a really brutal story in terms of who Bruce Wayne is and if you're used to certain things about Batman and I take it again, I don't know if I'm just for the bright side, but I take it as I I think the central thesis here is not just that obviously he's broken. What if all of these things happen at the end of the day, even a sociopath, someone who is clearly struggling with so many mental health issues is still trying to do something good even after all of that. And at the end of the day, the, you guys asked me in the beginning why like I'm a, I'm a big Batman fan and, and what I enjoy, but why I'm a big Batman fan 
is a very simple reason is that I think he ultimately he takes a tragedy and turns it turns it into a triumph. And even in this, I think he's still doing that. That's hmm. your title, Ruman, just a sociopath trying to do good. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, Paresh, so I uh, I like to ask our next to last question sometimes. And would you recommend this to someone? Yes. I mean, I would recommend this because not only is it, I mean, I think it has something for the people that expect certain things from Batman. And then it has something for the people who want something different from Batman. So I think it satisfies both needs and it's a beautiful artwork. I just, I was in love with the artwork. Yeah. I got a real Alex Malie vibe by reading Mm -hmm. it. And so, um, yeah, I, I definitely enjoy this more nor I'm not sure what's happening. I can't see everything clearly take. It, it works well with this universe. Indeed. So I guess I have to ask the final question. Roman, what are we reading next week? Well, Ryan, I've been having a dream. A green dream. A green dream. Tell me more. I think we should have some green dreams. So let's go back. Back to the 90s. I want to read Eric Larson's Savage Dragon. So Eric Larson was a fan favorite Marvel artist who was one of the original founders of Image Comics. And the comic that he took over to Image was a childhood creation of his, The Savage Dragon. Now, what's interesting is a lot of the Image creators went and made titles and did a lot of things, became the head of DC Entertainment, like Jim Lee, made a bunch of toys like Todd McFarlane, but only one of the original image creators is still making the goddamn comic he set out to do. Eric Larson has been creating Savage Dragon for almost 30 years, and we are not going to be reading 30 years worth of Savage Dragons. We're going to figure out a way to read some bookends. We're going to read the first 13 issues of it all the way back from the 90s. We're going to read the last 13 issues that just came out, but then we're going to read some of the greatest hits, everything in between. So next week, our green dreams begin with the Savage Dragon. Well, I am excited. If there's one thing that defined my high school years, it was Savage Dragon and Savage Garden. So there we go. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Paresh, thanks for joining. As always. Thank you, Paresh. Thank you. Thank you. Happy to be here. And that's our show. Like what you heard? Be sure to share with a friend, subscribe, and leave us a review wherever you get your favorite podcasts. See lots of pretty pictures of the books we read at qtdcomics.com. And since we're sure no one's listening, prove us otherwise. Shoot an email over to say what I got right and what Ryan got wrong. qtdcomics at gmail.com. Give you a social media handle, but we're old, and that feels like too much work. I'm Roman Segel. And I am and have always been Ryan Jones.
Never gonna let you down Never gonna turn around and desert you I'm never gonna make you cry Never gonna say goodbye Never gonna tell a lie and hurt you Your heart is aching, but you're too shy to see it. Inside, we both know what's going on. We know the game, and we're gonna play it. And if you ask me what I'm feeling, don't tell me you're too blind to see. I'm never gonna give you up. Never gonna let you down Never gonna turn around And desert you I'm never gonna make you cry Never gonna say goodbye Never gonna tell a lie And hurt you Never But you're too shy Yeah!
Never gonna give you up Never gonna let you down